This message was recorded at North 2013, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Okay, you can hear me. Fantastic. Well, who'd like to have some fun tonight? Yeah! Ah, we're all in favour of fun here at the North, wouldn't you agree? Well, you know, it's good to be here, and uh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I thought just to help us get to know each other a little bit at the start, and also, to be honest, just for a bit of a laugh, I thought I'd begin by showing you a photograph of our youngest daughter, who is already very serious about reading the Bible. (laughs) Now, she is actually our fourth daughter, and here is the hilarious true story of how we chose her name. My wife, Julia, goes into labor. It's all happening very fast. We are racing in the back of the ambulance to the hospital, and in the back of the ambulance, it occurs to me that we do not have another girl's name if it is going to be another girl because we've used up all our girls' names on our first three daughters. And so, looking for a bit of last-minute inspiration, you may be amused to know that I asked the ambulance lady, by the way, what's your name? And she said, Tanith. And I said, pardon? She said, Tanith. I said, how how do you spell that? She said, T-A-N-I-T-H. She said, do you know what it means? I said, no. She said, it means the serpent lady. (laughs) So, we called our baby girl, Emma. why we had Emma is because we wanted to have a relationship with her. And so, you know, we were thrilled to bring Emma into the world. We were definitely going to love Emma, and the thought that she might love us back was so exciting for us. We were absolutely delighted to bring Emma into the world. And the Bible says that the reason why God has made us is a little bit like that. And I was just wondering whether maybe I could try and illustrate this to you guys tonight with the help of a dramatic sketch, yeah, for which I will need the help of three actors. Now, let me just explain. This is not a rehearsed sketch, so it could go horribly wrong. But hopefully, whatever happens, it will be a bit of fun. So, firstly, in my sketch, and let me just explain, I thought that perhaps... I should ask Steve Hurd, who we just heard from, who introduced me so kindly a minute ago, I thought maybe in terms of choosing the actors for the sketch on the stage, I thought maybe I should ask Steve for some recommendations. So, firstly in my sketch, I need someone to play the part of God. And so I asked Steve, Steve, who at North would you choose to be God? Who at at North, Steve, uh, is pure and full of love? Who at North is so physically, uh, impressively good-looking that when they stand here on the stage, they'll strike us as almost divine? I said, Steve, who at North has a physique that is so impressive 
that when they stand here, they'll strike us as almost godlike. And quick as a flash, he said, Roger, bye. So, Roger, you come up here. Come on, Roger. Roger, just, just to explain, that's it, fantastic. See, very well cast, if I may say so. Just to explain, Roger has no idea what he's going to be asked to do in this sketch. Roger, if you could just come over here, please, kindly. Roger, could you please stand on this stool? Would that be okay? Seeing as you're omnipotent. No, 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 come on, no, 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 come on, I'll help you get. See, there it is, absolutely no trouble at all for God, you see. Fantastic, isn't it? Wonderful. Now, if you turn the other way, yes, that would be great. Rather than turning your back on your... Very good. Okay, fantastic. Okay, now, um, as I said, Roger has no idea what he's going to be asked to do in this sketch. Roger, seeing as you are playing the part of God, I was wondering whether perhaps you could begin by improvising, acting out the creation of the universe. You might like... Oh, he's already away. Fantastic. You might like to throw some stars into space. Look, he's totally into it. You might like to create the heavens and the earth. Off he goes. Fantastic. So God creates the universe... And as you know, the pinnacle of his creation, the pinnacle of his creation is he creates mankind. God and man are great friends. They start off great friends, but then sadly, man becomes arrogant and proud. And so I asked Steve Steve, who at North would you choose to be man? I said, Steve, who at North is glorious and noble? but ultimately depraved. I said, Steve, who at North has greatness within him, but has now become fallen, tarnished, and vain? I said, Steve, who at North was made in the image of God, but has now become obsessed with his own appearance? And quick as a flash, he said, Alan Rossi. So, Alan, could you come up here? Come up here, please, Alan. Alan, also in character, you can see him there, just uh, slightly altering his appearance before coming on stage. Very well. Alan, good to see you. Could you please stand on this uh, stall right here? Now, I wonder, at the start, God, could you just show the people at North the love of God for humanity? Just, just show the love of God. Embrace your son, your creation. Come on. Could you show them a bit more of the love of God? Hey, isn't that great? We love that. We love that. Look at that, the love of God. Fantastic. Now, of course, they start off as really, really close friends. But then sadly, man becomes so preoccupied with all the gifts that God has given him that he starts to kind of forget about the gift giver and where the gifts came from. And in fact, he turns his back on God. That was amazing. I didn't tell him to do that, but he instinctively, such is the rebellion that he instinctively instinctively forgot about God who so recently given him these gifts. In fact, man, could you just get down off the chair for a second, man? And we're just going to represent here the distance. If you just move over very slightly, the distance between... Uh, if you get back on your stool there, that's fantastic. So as you can see, there is now... It's now too far for man to get back to God. It's too far. It's too far. And folks, this is so easily how our story could have ended were it not for the love of God. Because God is so loving that at this point he calls... Look at that, look at that loving face. Oh! Look at that. Those, those, those eyes. This is almost Hollywood standard character acting. 
What he does, such is his love, that at this point he calls for his son Jesus to become a bridge. And so I need someone to play the part of Jesus. And so I asked Steve. I said, Steve, who is the most Christ-like person at North? Who here tonight would be willing to lay down his life for the sake of other people? And quick as a flash, he said, John Cook. So John, could you come up here? John, if you could just, hello John, if you could just come and stand on this stool in, in, in the center there. And John, if you, could just, uh, if you could just stretch out your arms, John, like so. That's fantastic. Now, John, John, we are now going to act out, John, the crucifixion of Christ. Not entirely literally, although, John, there will be a certain amount of suffering involved. Now, man, I wonder if you can imagine how much your father loves you. He loves you so much that, as you can see, he has provided a bridge, a means whereby if you were, man, to hold on to Jesus, if you were to put your whole body weight and trust, you could get all the... Look, he's already going for it. You could put your whole trust... Hold on. Come on, let's all encourage him. Hold on to Jesus. You can make it all the way back. Hold on to Jesus. You can make it all the way back to your father. Come on. All the way back. The father's reached him. Come on, encourage him, everybody. He's going to make it all the way back. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Trust in Christ. He's totally trustworthy. He make it all the way back. Come on, you make it all the way back. Spin around the other side. We want to see this embrace at the end. Come on, let's get all the way back. God's love is such. Look, no, it's going to work. It's going to work. Hold on to him. Jesus is totally trustworthy. Any minute now, the place is going to erupt. Fantastic. Fantastic. And never in the history of Christianity has an illustration some comes quite so close to total disaster. But it was a fantastic... Come on, let's get down. They're still hugging each other. Look, come down, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Well done. Well done, Jesus. Fantastic. Thank you, Roger. Oh. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Uh, Can I just ask you a question? Um, Can I just ask you this question? Have you ever made that journey? Have you ever made that journey all the way from being over here, trusting solely in the cross, going through the cross, by the cross? Can I ask you this question? Have you ever had that hug? I mean, have you ever felt the benefit of mm, being embraced in the arms of God? Because if you haven't had that experience, this evening you can. All I'll do is I'll just finish talking. I'll invite the band to come back and we'll sing one song. And then off the back of that song, I'll offer a very short prayer, um, a prayer that basically says yes to God. And if you want to make that prayer your prayer, I'll ask you just to raise your hand wherever you are. And then if you have raised your hand, I'll ask you to come and stand here at the front because we'd love to pray with you, pray for you, and give you the best encouragement that we can uh, right at the end. Is that cool? So that's where we're going this evening. Fantastic. Okay, well, the good news tonight is that we get to hear the most famous story that Jesus ever told. And it's a story of a father who had two sons. Act 1, scene 1. 
the younger of these two sons says to his father, Dad, I wish you were dead. But seeing as you're not, which I find a bit inconvenient, give me my share of your money now. And amazingly, the father says yes, and so the son stuffs his pockets with the money and he goes off to a distant country and he spends the money quickly and then there's a famine just when you didn't want there to be a famine so the money runs out and then Jesus says that he's down on his knees and he's feeding the pigs and he longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating but ah nobody gave him anything so this guy is at the lowest point in his life and I just want to be very realistic at the start and say that in a crowd this size There's going to be at least one or two of us. And to be honest, we've had a hard life. I mean, we've had a harder life, perhaps, than most people here. But I want to encourage you, if that's you, that no matter how much of a kind of a far-off hope this happy future might seem to be right now, no matter how distant this relationship with God might seem to be at the moment, tonight, we are going to see that no matter how deep a pit you might feel you're in, God's arm is long enough tonight to reach down and get you up at the pit. But yeah, at the moment, at the start of the story, it's true. There is a big distance between the younger son, who Jesus likens to you and me, over here, and the father figure over here, who Jesus likens to God the Father. Now, As you know, in our story, this is a deliberate act of rebellion on the part of the younger brother as he heads off and leaves the family home. But for you and I, it's probably not even something that we're conscious of at all. Now, for most of us, it's ever so subtle. So it's not through one big decision, but it's through hundreds of tiny incremental choices we can gradually crowd God out of our lives. And so, even by the way that we think, I mean, we're busy, and so we fill our lives with lots of good and important things that have got to get done. But as we're doing all these good and important things, which actually are good things, it's not the things that we're doing that are wrong, it's the, we're, we're busy doing the things that we've got to do, all our responsibilities. But gradually, we forget about the gift giver. And so we can so easily forget about God. But if God does exist, if God made the planet that I'm standing on, if God made the oxygen that I'm breathing, then I suppose logically speaking, God should be number one in my life. But so often he's not. I mean, not really. I mean, God's kind of on my radar somewhere. But, What would happen if God did appear physically on this stage tonight? How would the atmosphere change if God did walk up here and stand on this stool in front of us tonight? What if the almighty father of creation, the one who thought up water and carbon and neutrons and electrons, the one who imagined creation and then brought it all into being out of nothing. What if the almighty God and Father of all of us were to stand on this stage tonight? How would I feel? How would you feel? I think 
I'd feel immediately conscious that I've kind of taken the fact that anything exists for granted. If God stood here tonight, I would feel immediately conscious of my selfishness and of my sins. And so we find ourselves separated from God. That's what's happened in our story. There's a distance. But the good news is in Jesus' story that when the Son comes to his senses and he turns around and he starts heading home, the Father sees him coming and the Father runs. I mean, this is such an exciting moment. As the Father sees you coming, as he sees, God sees you coming into this room at maybe 5 to 7 or 7 o'clock or whenever it was. God knows which chair you were going to sit in. God knows exactly. God knows the names of every single person who's here tonight, even though we don't know the name of everybody who's here tonight. God sees you coming, sees you arriving in your car or walking from your tent. And what's his reaction as he sees you take your place? He runs. God runs to you. And better still, he throws his arms around you tonight. And this wasn't normal behavior. It wasn't normal behavior for a Middle Eastern, middle-aged landowner to hitch up his skirts and bare his legs and run in the heat of the day. And yet, God runs to you tonight. And the thing is that, ironically enough, lots of us have an image of God in our mind and we think, if God has any feelings about me, we think, then probably I'm a bit of a disappointment to him. But that is not the picture that's painted here of how God the Father feels about you. No, according to Jesus, as God sees you coming, He's filled with compassion. According to Jesus, this is a father who's been scanning the horizon, presumably every day, thinking, hey, this might just be the day when my boy comes home, get ready to run. And he's scanning the horizon, just just waiting for you to come tonight. And then when he sees you come into this place, he sees you coming to him, he runs. And Jesus says he has compassion for you. And if you are a bloke here tonight, try this one on for size. Jesus says, God kisses you. Hmm. It's in the Bible. Hmm. And so, God's heart is beating fast that you're here this evening because He passionately and devotedly loves you. You know what happens next in our story? The son, he's turned around, he's starting heading home, he gets to this stage, and then he falls on his knees. He says, oh, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I don't deserve to be called your son, he says. But he doesn't get to finish his rehearsed speech because the father sees you. He scoops him up, and they have this superb hug. Fantastic. Folks, the point of a hug is this. Jesus is telling a story for all time so that you could become really aware that God's instinctive reflex reaction as you come in here tonight is one of unconditional love. You see, the Father doesn't say, oh, funny to see you back here. You need to jump through these 14 hoops before I'd even consider. No, no, no. He sees you coming in and no questions asked, a massive hug. Folks, this hug is seriously good news for you and me. Two years ago, I sat in a cafe in Nottingham with my friend Mark Ritchie, who is a professional storyteller. And uh, Mark tells me this amazing anecdote about watching the telly the day before. 
He says, this is how the anecdote starts. We're in this cafe. He says, yesterday, Adrian, I'm watching the snooker on telly with my wife. And immediately I think, what? How could that ever happen? But anyway, um, so <laughs> immediately, concept, just can't compute that. Anyway, so he says, I'm watching the telly, watching the snooker. He says, Terry Griffiths comes on, tells this amazing story about Alex Higgins. Now, if by chance you happen to be unfamiliar with the world of late 1970s, early 1980s professional snooker, then let me explain that Alex Hurricane Higgins was a bit of a wild man. Alex Higgins was disqualified from one snooker tournament for headbutting one of the tournament officials. You might think, how can you get that annoyed playing snooker? But anyway. Terry Griffiths comes on, tells this amazing story about Alex Higgins. Terry Griffiths says, when I first turned pro, he says, I used to go around all the tournaments with my dad, Terry Griffiths' dad. And just before this world title final, Terry Griffiths against Alex Higgins, Terry Griffiths says to, to his dad, Terry Griffiths says, look, dad, at the end of this match, irrespective of whether I've beaten Higgins or Higgins has beaten me, listen, dad, for about half an hour, listen, Alex Higgins, don't talk to him. Don't, you know, if he's won, don't congratulate him. If he's lost, don't commiserate with him. Listen, dad, I love you. I'm just saying, for about half an hour, don't talk to him. He's a bit volatile immediately after a match. Anyway, lo and behold, in the final, Terry Griffiths does beat Alex Higgins. But Terry Griffiths' dad does not take his son's advice. Oh, no! Terry Griffiths' dad goes straight up to Alex Higgins. This is like away from the cameras in a back room. Walks straight up to Alex Higgins and shakes him by the hand. And of course, Alex Higgins immediately recognizes who this is. And Alex Higgins says, right, well, you can tell your beeping beep son, Terry, that he's a blankety-blank, beep, 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 blankety-blank, just lets him have this tirade of abuse. And when the swearings died down a bit, Terry Griffiths' dad is still holding on to Alex Higgins' hand. And Terry Griffiths' dad looks him straight in the eye and says, you know what, Alex? I am really proud of my son, Terry, but Alex... If you were my son, I would be really proud of you. But Alex, if you were my son, I would be really proud of you. At these words, Alex Higgins bursts into tears and he throws his arms around Terry Griffith's dad and he just starts sobbing on his shoulder like this. At this point, Terry Griffiths walks into the room. To see this unbelievable sight of his dad and the hurricane having a cuddle. <laughs> and you're just left with this picture in your mind of this world champion snooker player, Alex Hurricane Higgins, who is desperately craving a father's approval. I mean, more than anything else, what Alex Higgins needs is not another world title. No, Alex Higgins just needs his dad to say, hey, Alex. Come over here, son. Look, 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 look. Alex, give me, let me give you a hug. Alex, listen, son. Alex, I do love you, and I'm really proud of you. Now, folks, you know what? When you are doing a talk from Luke chapter 15 about the Father heart of God, I know there's going to be at least one or two of us here tonight, and maybe our dad wasn't everything that he could have been. Maybe our dad wasn't everything that he should have been. And so, 
even listening to this talk, kind of creates raw feelings and bubbling emotions. Because right now you're not sure that your dad is really proud of you. Maybe we're not sure that our dad does cherish us and he does really love us. And so there's a lot of pain in some of our hearts. But that isn't the picture that's painted here of how God the Father feels about you. No, the picture painted by Jesus of how God the Father feels about you is of a father who will never make a promise and then break it. A father who will never let you down. No, this is a father who will hold you tight tonight and say, I am your father and I'm really proud of you. And so this is where we get to uh, in our story. It means that you can say and you can call this loving heavenly father the same thing that Jesus called him. And Jesus called the creator of the universe Abba. Dada. He was that familiar. You can call the God who created the mountains and the oceans tonight for the first time in your life, you can call the almighty creator who imagined matter and antimatter and electrons and neutrons and brought the whole universe, space, matter, energy, time into existence out of nothing. You can call him what Jesus called him and Jesus called him Abba! Dada! Woohoo! Dada! Wonderful. God is that loving. You can make that connection this evening. So what happens in our story famously? The son turns around, he comes back, the father sees him come, and this is what the son, the father says. The father says, quick, he says to his servants, get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet, the father says. Then he says, let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. It's now officially party time. It's fantastic. You like that? Front row like that. Do you know, a funny thing happened to me. Um, oh, he's still enjoying it down there. That was a good one. <laughs> a funny thing happened to me um, on the tube in London where I lived the other day. Um, on the district line at Earl's Court, the driver changes over. So you tend to sit for about two minutes. And there's nothing unusual about sitting on the tube. It's, it, you know, it's, the carriage is quite full. It's quite a lot of people. What's unusual is that the doors are open because you're at the station while the driver changes over. So I'm sitting there, you know, sort of staring at my shoes. The reason I'm staring at my shoes is because I'm just aware, out of the corner of my eye, there is a woman on the platform at Earl's Court looking into the train, and she is staring at me in a kind of a manic, kind of piercing kind of way. It's a little bit off-putting, to be honest. And after two minutes of manic staring, this woman shouts at me quite loudly. She says, Lars! Lars! I can't believe it's you. It's me, Jennifer. I can't believe I've seen you again, Lars, after all this time. How are you, Lars? And so, I look around the carriage. And everyone is looking at me. And so I stand up and I say, Hi! <laughs> um, I'm going to be completely honest and say that right now I don't immediately recognize you. Sorry, what's your name? Jennifer, I don't immediately recognize you. I'm sure as we carry on talking, any minute now it'll all come flooding back. She says, What? She says, What? You don't recognize me? 
You don't recognize me, lass? After all we've gone through? And I said, well, it's not that I, you know, I'm, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that as we carry on talking, I will. She said, oh, no, she said, it's too late now. It's too late now. She said, I'm offended. I'm offended. And I said, well, it might be that the reason why I don't recognize you is because my name is not Lars. And she looked me up and down and she said, oh, she said, I am so embarrassed. And her friend put her arm around her and they both walked off up the platform like this. At which point everyone in the carriage burst out laughing. <clears throat> it was a case of mistaken identity. A simple case of mistaken identity. Do you know what the most amazing thing is about you? That as God sees you coming back to him tonight and he says to you, quick, put the best robe on her, put the best robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, put sandals on his feet, let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. Look, it's not a case of mistaken identity. No, God knows all the best that there is to know about you. God knows all the worst that there is to know about you. He knows all your secrets and still, he says, let's celebrate her life. Immediately, unconditional love. Let's celebrate his life. You're so precious to him. It's not a case of mistaken identity. He knows the worst about you. And still he wants to celebrate your life tonight as you come back to him. You know, the same conversation with my mate Mark tells me this amazing story about a friend of his called Neil. Neil and a friend of his are on a walking holiday in the Lake District. And... A car pulls up and parks. Middle-aged man gets out of the car, walks straight up to Neil and his friend and says, Guys, I am really sorry to bother you. I know I'm a total stranger to you. Could I just ask you a massive favor? And Neil and his friend say, "Uh, Yes. And and this guy says, My 13-year-old son, Tom, is on a sponsored charity bike ride from John O'Groats in Scotland to Land's End in Cornwall. And in about two minutes, he is going to come over the brow of that hill on his push bike. Could you just join me in kind of cheering him on and saying, come on, Tom, and kind of jollying him along? Would that be okay? And Neil and his friends say, uh, yeah. Anyway, in the next two minutes, this dad manages to gather a crowd of seven Lake District walkers into a little huddle So they're all huddling together, the seven of them. And of course the next thing that happens is that this little forlorn figure comes limping over the brow of the hill but not pedaling very fast. Oh no, Neil says his body language kind of suggests that he's thinking, you know, when I first thought of a sponsored charity bike ride from Scotland to Cornwall, back then it seemed like a good idea. But now I'm actually doing it. It's horrible, and I just want to stop, and I don't care about charity anymore. And of course, at this moment, he hears this sound. Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. Not far to Cornwall now, Tom. Come on, Tom. Look how far you've come. You've come all the way from Scotland. Come on, Tom. And of course, he hears this encouragement. He says, yeah, I've come all the way from Scotland. I'm in the Lake District. I'm in England. I'm... Come on, Tom. You come all the way from the north. Come on, Tom. And his little legs stop. And Neil says, his little And the energy comes at the encouragement. And he goes flying. Neil says, he goes over the horizon, disappears from view. And then this dad turns to this little crowd of seven and says, Thank you so much. Do you know what I'm going to do now? 
I'm going to get back in my car. I'm going to drive on another couple of miles. I'm going to gather another little crowd of people. And I'm going to keep cheering them on all the way down. This dad says, as long as Tom wants to keep on cycling, I'm going to keep cheering him on. And folks, that is the sound of heaven. Come on, Tom, with your name in it. Turns out that God is for you and not against you. God is on your side. God is cheering you on. And somebody says, is it really that simple? I mean... Is the parable of the prodigal son, is is Jesus' most famous ever story, is it really as simple as saying, well, we were together with God and everything was great, but then, or we wandered away. We shouldn't have done that, should we? But hey, it doesn't matter, because all we have to do is turn around and come back. God will forgive us and give us a massive hug and everything will be okay. I mean, is it really that simple? Well, you're not for us here tonight. It's that good. Because the reality is that if at the end, we do turn around. If we put our hand up, we come to the front. If we come home, actually, for us here tonight, God really will forgive us. And for us, everything really will be okay. So for us, it's that good. For us, it is that simple. But for Jesus, the storyteller, it was not quite that simple. Because even as he was telling this, his most famous ever story, Jesus already knew it was going to be necessary for him, the storyteller, to die in order to make the forgiveness possible. You see, way back before telling us this story, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has already predicted, I must, I must be killed, he says in Luke chapter 9. And then after telling this story, in Luke chapter 24, he predicts, I must be crucified. Well, why? Well, Because Jesus was a man on a mission. And Jesus' mission was to make the Father's forgiveness a reality. And forgiveness always costs something. So what did it cost God to forgive us? Well, in the first instance, Jesus knew that if God is going to be the just judge of all the universe, then if God's going to be a just judge... He has to judge justly. I mean, we would never respect a judge who didn't judge justly. Can you imagine if there was a a judge in the high court at the Old Bailey in central London who was just letting murderers go free? Can you picture the scene? Man's called and accused of murder. The evidence is overwhelming that he's guilty. The jury is sent out to consider their verdict. They come back for 10 minutes. Unanimous verdict, Your Honor. Guilty as charged. Can you imagine the judge summing up and passing sentence by saying, well, I know he's guilty, it's obvious that he's guilty, but hey, boys will be boys. These things happen. No need for any punishment. No, you're free to go. Can you imagine the outrage? Can you imagine what the Daily Mail would make of that? Next murderer comes in, oh, no, sin doesn't matter. You can just go, no need for any punishment. That's No, 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 no. We would never respect a judge who just let wrongdoing go its way. No, Jesus knew that a a just judge has to punish justly. And so, firstly, because we have wandered away, as we saw at the start, because we have distanced ourselves from God, the fact is that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're far from home. And the reality is, look, if we die over here standing on this chair 
And of course, one day we will die. I mean, a hundred years from now, none of us in this barn are going to be here. No, at some point in the future, everyone in this barn will be standing before a holy God on a judgment day. And on that day, all of Adrian Holloway's secrets and past will come out into the open and it will become obvious to everyone that I'm not perfect enough for a perfect heaven. I'm not pure enough. The Bible says in the book of Revelation about heaven that nothing impure will ever enter it. Well, folks, that counts me out. That counts me out. Because... I'm not pure enough for a pure heaven. I'm not perfect enough for a perfect heaven. And so the result is, if we die over here, well, the Bible says the result of sin or the wages of sin is death. So firstly, Jesus knew that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Secondly, he knew that the result of the wages of sin is death. But God is so loving. He's so compassionate. He's so kind that he has thought up the most ingeniously loving way of still remaining just and still punishing sin justly without actually punishing you and me if you choose to respond to him tonight. Because even though it was Adrian Holloway who sinned, God so loves me and God so loves you that he chose to punish Jesus for Adrian Holloway's sin. And so this is the most amazing substitution. God remains just. He still punishes the sin justly. But he chooses to punish Jesus, his own son, his only son, as a substitute instead of you, instead of me, instead of every single person who trusts in him tonight. God's love is so vast that he sacrifices his only son just so that you could come back across the bridge, just so that lost sons and lost daughters all over this place could be embraced back in the arms of God. It's the most amazing decision. And it's phenomenal to imagine that Jesus knew exactly what was involved in this mission, but still volunteered for the task. Can you picture him telling the story? Remember, we already know from elsewhere in the record, he knew about his own crucifixion. And yet, as he tells the story of the prodigal son at the end of the story his finale is the son comes home and he gets a robe on his back and yet all the time Jesus is telling the story he already knew that at the end of his life he was going to lose his back it was going to be literally ripped off his back by two Roman lictors with a Roman flagellum and then at the end of the prodigal son story as Jesus is warming up for the end of his story he says yeah and when he comes back the son gets a ring on his finger And yet all the time he knew that at the end of his life he'd end up with a crown of thorns pressed down onto his head. And at the end of the prodigal son story, at Jesus' finale, the son comes home and if you remember he gets sandals on his feet. And yet all the time Jesus knew that he'd end up with nine-inch Roman nails driven through his feet and hands. Yet still Jesus volunteered to go through with the task. Why? Because he knew This was the only way that you could ever be reunited with your loving Heavenly Father. Now that's a big claim and here is why. Jesus was uniquely qualified and here's why. As Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross, as he hung there, 
he was connecting firstly heaven and earth, but secondly he was also connecting God and man. And Jesus was the only person who has ever lived who could ever have made this connection. And so as Jesus died on the cross, figuratively speaking, he became a bridge. He was the only person who could have built this bridge because he was the only human who has ever lived who was fully God. Jesus was as much God as God the Father as God. Jesus was as much God as God the Holy Spirit as God. The Bible says that all the fullness of the deity lived in bodily form. But Jesus was also a real human being. I mean, he was a skilled manual laborer. He, um, Jesus of Nazareth is a fact of history. He's a human being who definitely existed. He that there could be somebody here tonight who looks very similar to Jesus of Nazareth, for all I know. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he built a bridge. And he looked back on this amazing life that he lived. He lived the sort of life that God would live if he lived for 33 years on this planet. He never did anything wrong. He reviewed his sinless life and he looked forward a few minutes to his substitutionary death, the death he was about to die. He's about to make a bridge whereby anyone in this barn can come back across the bridge into the arms of God. And as he looked at this bridge, this amazing way whereby he was taking the punishment for hundreds of lost sons, hundreds of lost daughters, a bridge that millions of people would cross, he felt a surge of satisfaction as he knew, any minute now I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And he cried out, Job done. It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit and he breathed his last. Mission accomplished. Everything that would ever possibly need to be done for you to be embraced in the arms of God forever and go to heaven when you die has now been done by somebody else for you. Amazing love. And if I'm completely honest, Probably the reason why I responded and said yes to Christ is because I wanted to cross the bridge. I wanted to know, yes, I've got a place in heaven. Christ died for me. All my sins are now dealt with. Now there's nothing to worry about. But the great thing was, once I crossed the bridge, I got all these benefits in this life that, to be honest, I wasn't expecting. And I just want to mention two really quickly as I close. First benefit for me was a new peace. And I just started to worry less about everything. And when you worry less, you enjoy life more. Let me tell you a hilarious, true story about peace coming into my life. Folks, in our last house, one night at half past three in the morning, the alarm went off on the outside of our house. And it was ear-piercingly loud. It's going, and I go downstairs, and I punch in my four digits in the understairs cupboard, but still this thing's going, and so I think, right, um, I go to the fuse board. So I go to the fuse board, and I disconnect all the fuses, so there's now no power coming into the house at all, but still this thing's going, so I think, right, uh, what do I do now? What do I, do? I get, I get a, ch- a chisel and a hammer, and, and I... And I chisel away the electrical casing. Uh, don't do this at home. And I rip the wires out of the wall. So there's now no wires going into this thing, but still it's going. I cannot switch this thing off. After 15 minutes of this mind-numbing sound, I've got my semi-detached next-door neighbours, Fred and Val, this elderly couple, standing in my living room. Fred has his arms folded, and Fred is swearing at me. But still, I can't get this thing. It's going. Wah! 
After 20 minutes, I think, right, the actual alarm, Adrian, is on the outside of the house. Let's go into the road and let's see whether we can do anything to make this sound. So I, go, I walk out at 10 to 4 in the morning into the road. When I get out into the street, I can see two of my neighbors, one of whom is almost entirely naked. And they're standing in the street thinking, Adrian, how hard can it be to punch in your four digits? You punch in your four digits, Adrian. We can all go back to bed. But still this thing's going, after 25 minutes of this mind-numbing sound, I've got a ladder and a sledgehammer. (laughs) And I put this ladder up on the outside of my and I'm going up the ladder with this sledgehammer. I'm going to smash this thing to smithereens. Instead, it's going, I get to the top of the ladder. I pull the sledgehammer back. And at that moment, it stops. <laughs> and the peace. I can hear the birds singing. <laughs> Folks, for me, that's what it was like becoming a Christian. Because over the years, the pressure builds. The family hassles. The relationship hassles. The relationship breakup hassles. Parental expectation. And then you put your hand up at North on a Saturday night. You come to the front. And everything changes. Why? Because you've got the peace of Christ in your heart. No, there are huge challenges in the Christian life. But the difference is, now you've got Christ living in you. You're not alone anymore. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You've got the peace of Christ in your heart, for the, not just for the rest of your life, but for the whole of eternity. You're going to a place where every day will be better than the one before, a place where you'll never be bored. You'll be filled and thrilled to the max. And that just starts to filter in to everyday life, even here in Britain. Second and last thing tonight, second benefit for me, was a new confidence. And let me just tell you the true story of a young woman called Hannah as I close. Hannah unfortunately for her, was very unpopular at school. And during one lesson when she was 15 years old, the teacher lost patience with Hannah and invited Hannah to come and stand at the front of the class. And then the teacher, this this would be illegal in the UK now, and probably was then, but the teacher offered the chalk to anyone in the class who would like to come and take the chalk and write on the blackboard what they thought of Hannah. And so one after the other, you can imagine what kids are like. You know, one at the first one does it tentatively and then they sort of realize, no, the teacher's serious. This, we can actually get away with this. And so they wrote all these horrible, abusive, nasty names and swear words. You know, writing swear words on the board at school. This is a, you know, so they're writing all this stuff. And eventually all 29 of them have written something. And then the bell went. All the kids stood up, walked out. The teacher stood up. The teacher walked out. At which point, Hannah was all alone in the classroom. And for the first time, she turned around to look at the board. And she saw these horrible, nasty, abusive names. 
And as you can imagine, she took a mental picture of those words and thought to herself, well, this is who they say I am. Many, many years later, as an adult, Hannah went to see a counsellor. It just so happened this counsellor was a Christian. And the Christian counsellor said, Hannah, I want to try and explain to you who Jesus is and what he was doing when he went to the cross. I want you to picture yourself back in the classroom that day, all in your own, Hannah, looking at that blackboard with all those horrible, nasty, abusive names. I want you to picture Jesus, Hannah, as a young man of 33 years of age, walking in, not actually carrying a crossbeam of wood, which is what he really did as he went to the cross at Jerusalem, but imagine him carrying a wooden board rubber. Hannah, picture him going to the blackboard and wiping out every single one of those horrible, nasty, abusive names. Then picture him, Hannah, getting the board cleaner and squirting the board so that he's, and then wiping every single trace of every single one of those horrible, nasty names so the board is completely clean. And then, she says, Hannah, picture Jesus then picking up the chalk and writing on the board who you will be if you choose to trust in Christ that you will be accepted, that you'll be adopted, that you'll be affirmed, that you'll be loved, that you'll be washed, that you'll be cleansed, that you'll be a daughter of God, and all these beautiful truths. And do you know what happened next? They went to the car park, they got in the car, and they went to the school. And they went to the same classroom and they sat, Hannah sat in the same seat, or the seat where her old seat used to be. Of course, when they got to the school, it wasn't blackboard and chalk anymore. It was all like high-tech whiteboards, and you had to type, and it was like, you know. And they, got, they managed to get it to work. And they got up those new beautiful names. And Hannah sat in her old seat, and she saw that she's accepted, that she's adopted, that she's loved, that she's a daughter of God. And that day, Hannah trusted in Christ for the first time. That day, Hannah made a decision, like the one I'm asking you to make. She said yes to Christ. And that day, Hannah crossed the bridge, and she's never looked back. I want to finish with this sentence, that if you are willing to trust in Christ tonight, Right now, nobody's expecting a man to burst in through those doors and run up to you and give you a massive hug. But tonight, the Father's running. And if you do respond to Him, then tonight, you can be embraced back in the arms of your loving, heavenly Father. Maybe the band could come and join me. Does the band come up? Can I just ask you, are you sure you've crossed this bridge? Have you ever felt the benefit of being embraced in the arms of the creator of the universe, this God who loved you so much? Because if you haven't, this evening you can. Do you know what it is to feel accepted, to feel adopted? Do you know what it is to be sure of eternal life? Folks, if you haven't, cross that bridge you can tonight in a second we're gonna stand and sing in fact why don't we stand right now let's stand together shall we and that's going to lead us in a song and at the end of the song i'm just going to pray a really short prayer a prayer that you can make your prayer a prayer that says yes i want to say yes to god 
And then if you have prayed that prayer, as I said earlier, I'll invite you to come and stand here at the front because we'd love to earth this view. We'd love to encourage you and pray for you before you go away. So let's celebrate, let's worship, let's thank him. And then off the back of this prayer, I will, off the back of the song, I'll come and pray. Why don't we pray together right now? Let's pray, shall we? Just remain standing. Let's pray together very briefly. Now, many of you here, you know you need the forgiveness that Christ offers and you want this relationship with God. If you need Jesus Christ to forgive you, I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. You needn't say anything. It's only a short prayer, a prayer that says yes to God. But God will know that you mean this in your heart. Maybe you're praying something like this. Let's pray. Let's pray, shall we? And maybe you're praying something like this. Dear Lord God, I want to say yes to you right now. I am turning to you. I am sorry for the wrong things I've done. I want you in my life. And I want the peace and the joy and the forgiveness that you're offering. Thank you for dying on the cross, Lord Jesus Christ, for me in my place as my substitute. Now help me to come to you. And now if we could just keep our eyes closed for a second. Maybe you're not sure that there's ever been a time in your life when you have given the whole of your life to Christ. So you can't say, oh yeah, by the time I left secondary school, I knew I'd given the whole of my life to Christ. Or you you can't say, oh, by the time I started my current job. This is a bit of a gray area. You're, You're not absolutely sure where you stand. Tonight you can make sure. Tonight, before you leave this room, you can be absolutely sure. You can cross the bridge. Everything's going to be okay. Secondly, maybe this is true of you. You don't know for sure that if, perish the thoughts, you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you go straight to heaven. You'd say, well, I hope so. Tonight, you can know so. You can be sure because even though none of us are good enough, Jesus Christ is good enough. This bridge is way strong enough. Jesus has done everything that could ever be necessary for you to have assurance, certainty of eternal life. Jesus has done all the hard work 2,000 years ago. The bridge is there. Already billions of people have crossed it. You can be sure. And you can be sure before you leave this place tonight. Thirdly, maybe this is true of you. You believe in God, but you couldn't say you really know him personally. Folks, Tonight you can come to know him personally as your father. Folks, if any one of those three is true of you, the chances are you've probably never fully given your life to Christ. I'm going to give you an easy opportunity to do that right now. So if you need Jesus Christ to forgive you, if you're coming back to him tonight, if you want to be sure of a place in heaven, You want this eternal life. You want the peace and the joy and the forgiveness that Christ is offering. If you've never crossed this bridge before, if you've drifted away but tonight you're coming back, if you have never become a Christian before, then if you want to make that prayer your prayer, then could you just put your hand up right now? You want to hand in your past and receive his future. God bless you. Just put your hands up. Wonderful. Put your hands up hands up nice and high. Everybody else's eyes closed. God bless you. 
everybody else's eyes closed as people putting their hands up all over this thing. You want to hand in your past and receive his future. God bless you. Well done. You want to hand in your death and receive his resurrection. God bless you. Well done at the back. You want to hand in your sin and receive his forgiveness. God bless you. Fantastic. Just keep putting your hands up wherever you are. One, two, three, four, five, six. You want to hand in your death and receive his resurrection. Everybody else's eyes are closed and you just put your hands up and do business with God. You can cross this bridge right now. People are putting up their hands and receiving forgiveness, receiving peace. God bless you. Well done at the back. Well done at the back. You know you want this forgiveness, this unconditional love that Christ is offering. God bless you here at the front. You want the peace. God bless you there in the white top. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, anybody else, you know you want the forgiveness that Christ offers. You want the peace of God. Wonderful grace coming to you. That's fantastic. Okay, in a second, I'm going to invite the, the, I think, 12 or so of you that have raised your hands. I'm going to invite you. You've already done the hard bit. You've broken the ice. I'm going to invite you to come and stand at the front. All these people are going to encourage you because they're all on your side. And we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to earth this for you. Some of the guys with their hands up still have their hands up. This is fantastic. I just want to encourage you. In a moment, we'd love to pray with you to earth this for you. But first, I'd like to invite maybe 12, 13 ministry team guys, a mixture of guys and girls. Could you come and stand here in front of the stage with me? Come and help me out. Thank you so much. Ministry team, could you come forward right now? Thank you so much for serving us. Ministry team, come forward. That's great. Come all the way forward. About 12 or 13 of you. And now, those 12 or 13 of you who raised your hands just now, in a minute, everyone in this building is going to cheer for you because they think what you're doing is great. But we'd love to pray for you. Could you come forward right now? Come on, let's encourage them. God bless you. Come forward wherever you are. God bless you. Well done. Come to Jesus. He's built a bridge for you. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for you. He built this bridge. He laid down his life. You can come to Jesus. You can trust in him. Cross the bridge tonight. You can have a new peace. You can have a new confidence. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have your sins forgiven by the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You can know the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Jesus. Receive forgiveness. Have all your sins washed away. Trust in Him. You'll never regret it. God bless you. Well done. Fantastic. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Wonderful. That's great. Well, folks, we are literally 60 seconds away from the end of our time with me here on the stage tonight. But I just think what these people have done in our culture is amazing. In front of all of their contemporaries, in front of all of their peers, in public, in front of around 2,000 people, they came forward in front of everybody. And many of us British people were thinking, I can't do that. You know, that is not me. But you know what? I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to respond publicly. I'm not going to ask you to come forward but I've been doing this long enough in the UK to come to understand there are people who would like to say yes to Christ, but it's the public element that we struggle with. So I just want to ask whether, just for these last 60 seconds, I could ask literally 
everyone to close their eyes. Could you just do that? We're 60 seconds away from the end. If we could all close our eyes. And maybe you want to say yes to Christ tonight and you're praying something like this. You're praying, Father, I know I need forgiveness from you. Help me now to get through all the stuff that I'm going through and to transfer the faith that I've already got to you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place, Lord Jesus Christ. I am sorry for the wrong things I've done and I am turning to you right now. Help me to come to you. And now if we could just have everybody's eyes closed. In fact, the only people with their eyes open are myself and Tony Smith and Steve Hurd, who are the ministry team leaders here at this event. If I was praying for you, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, could you just put your hand up and I will see who I was praying for. Just put your hand up. If you Well done. God bless you. Anybody else? Two. Three. You're coming back to him tonight. Four. Five. Anybody else? Just everybody else's eyes closed out of respect for those who are responding so courageously tonight. Anybody want to join six? Want to join these five, six people? God bless you. Well done. Seven. Anybody else? Want to say yes to Christ tonight? Okay. That is fantastic. Well done. If you seven with your eyes, sorry, seven with your hands up, if you could just put your hands down now. Well done. Thank you so much. I'd just like to pray for those seven folks. Father, I pray for the seven who've just responded that tonight, as soon as this meeting is closed, that they will turn to a friend, maybe they're sitting with them or somebody nearby or someone they know to be a Christian, and will say, you know what? Can I just tell you, I was one of those seven. And can I just tell you why I put my hand up? I pray that they would do that, and I pray that they would find the peace that they're looking for in you, Lord Jesus Christ tonight. Amen. Amen. Now, for those of you who have come forward, I guess we had around 12, 13 who responded just a few moments ago. Hey, becoming a Christian, if that's what you're doing, involves turning away from what you know to be wrong and turning towards Christ. That's called repentance. I've said very little about repentance in the talk tonight, but that's because we have this opportunity to chat to you now about what's involved. And if you are becoming a Christian, we'd love to explain what's involved and we can pray with you if you'd like us to. But I think it would be great for the rest of us, firstly, to thank God for the, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 people who waved earlier and came forward to say they've been healed. To thank God for, I guess, around 20 or so people who've publicly responded to Christ in terms of salvation tonight. And maybe thank God most of all for sending Jesus. Should we applaud him and thank him? Fantastic. God bless you.